there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Football is in love with the genius manager. The hero. If you put the word genius in the title when you're talking about tactics, it, it will do better. Got to reach out, talk to them, talk to somebody, talk to somebody, which is absolutely a great piece of advice for some people some of the time, but not for everybody all of the time. It's a search for meaning. There are many ways to engage in excellence, not just this idea of relentlessness. Hello everybody, welcome back to The Ripple Effect. So excited about this one. I am going to be chatting to Dan Abraham's sport psychologist, not sports psychologist. I've been put right on that one. And if you want insight right off the bat, that is it for all of you. So anyone who's ever said sports psychologist or sports psychology, don't do it. What I am going to do, for... do what, I'm so out of breath. I've just gone up the stairs and down the stairs here. Peering behind levels, the... Uh... Mate. Yeah, peering behind the uh, fourth wall here, just about to record, and then the doorbell goes. So I've had to go downstairs and up the stairs, and that shows how unfit I am. Um, Dan, we've had a few chats over the years. <sighs> Sorry, I really am out of breath. We've had a few chats over the years, and it's been wonderful and so insightful. For anyone who doesn't know about yourself and your field of work, could you just give them a bit of an introduction as I get my breath back? <laughs> Uh, I'll provide you. <laughs> Thank you, James. So you uh, deep breathe there. Um, good fit- mm-hmm. fitness levels, by the way, mate. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm I'm Dan Dan Abrams. I'm a, as you said, a sport psychologist. Um, formerly a professional golfer, but for the last, I've been in high performance sport for 28 years, 18 years as a sports psychologist, and or oh, a brief definition of sports psychology. Um, in very simple terms, I'm fascinated and any sports psychologist is fascinated in human behavior with relation to sport. And I suppose in simplistic terms, we can relate that to helping people engage in their sport, helping them learn their sport and helping them them perform consistently under pressure or high perform consistently under pressure we work with individuals we work with teams we work from top down in on the systems at, at clubs at football clubs if you like uh, and bottom up with the youngest players um right through academy age groups and levels um so there's a whole raft of things that we do that's probably a show in and of itself but that's mm. that that's a, a small insight into the life of a sports psychologist fantastic and and i think the reason why i really enjoy chatting with you and you kind of you said it right there is that you can zoom in on something tiny but you can also kind of zoom right out and, and talk about say systems and 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 look at those and analyze those and everything can affect everything and this podcast is called the ripple effect and one thing that really sort of um came into my conscious recently is with the news that Jurgen Klopp is leaving his post at Liverpool. Um, and it kind of dropped at a similar time to, there was a sort of trend on YouTube of people stopping on YouTube, retiring from YouTube. And it's been a big uh, discussion point on there. And it was interesting when I was watching the interview from Jurgen Klopp, him talking about 
the fact that he was running out of energy. So he said, how can I say it? I'm running out, running out of energy. I have no problem now. Obviously, I knew it already for, for longer that I will have to announce it at one point, but I am absolutely fine now. I know I cannot do the job again and again and again and again. And this made me think about the situation that was kind of happening on YouTube. From a personal point of view, I, I, it's something that I've had to sort of uh, grapple with and deal with it is the sort of desire to do as much as possible, to be excited in your work, um, but to sort of not topple over. I'm sort of one who's quite bad for that in terms of toppling over. And specifically with two people in terms of uh, Xavi, who's another manager who uh, has decided to leave at the end of the season as well. Um, two managers that I felt were sort of had a sort of, in particular, Klopp, a boundless energy that could never be lost um, or never run out of. I wanted to talk about burnout. And so that's why so I wanted to reach out to you and, and talk about that. And and also that within management and how that could be something that could be on the rise. Because I think, but if it seems to be, maybe it's just something that's being reported more and more, but it does feel like burnout is being discussed and being supposedly seen or you know, diagnosed by them by people themselves as well. And I think that's the other thing that I really love about um, about you is me being able to be ignorant and you being able to answer those questions from an actual point of of real knowledge. Because you actually another word I've learned today is pseudo scientific. <laughs> so I had to Google that one, and I think that's great because I think there's often with this sort of with people looking at themselves more and that and the how and their mental health more. There is a very basic level of knowledge that is then getting assigned to something that's probably a lot more complex because there isn't the, the language known to to sort of take it to the next level to really understand yourself. So let's start really broad and, and, and simple here. What is burnout? Oh, good, good start, good question. Um, and my stunningly simple answer to back to you is it's fatigue. It's as simple as that, but, you know, it's mental fatigue, it's physical fatigue, you know, it's, it's exhaustion that can lead to a disengagement from whatever you are doing, you know, your attentional stores are depleted. And so subsequently you simply just can't pay attention uh, and uh, uh, attend to what you're doing with the kind of passion that you'd like to. So there's an engagement perspective here when it comes to burnout fatigue. Um, you probably won't engage in the material as effectively, so learn as effectively, and you're not going to be able to high perform as consistently, especially under pressure. So there's an engagement, a learning, a performance piece to all of this, but it comes down to that one word, fatigue. It's just we can be, we know about physical fatigue, fatigue but more and more now in society we talk about this mental fatigue if you like and that's being normalized um especially in the world of sport that's the landscape that's changed that i'm sure we'll come on to talk about so that's what burnout is james so in terms of that fatigue is there a bit of sort of myth busting we can do here as well because uh you know within that that sphere of say say youtube uh it's a it's one that seems at odds with what you're doing a little bit in the idea that ultimately this is a creative industry and so something like burnout should be on something that is far more or thought of as far more taxing than that so to bring it to sport 
In terms of a physical burnout, that's very clear for us to see and understand. In terms of, uh, you know, I guess, uh, yeah, a, a, a mental burnout and, mm-hmm. and fatigue yeah. from that point of view. Yeah. Why on earth would that occur in sport? I'm being really ignorant here, but I think it's important to me to play that no, role. Look, and, 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 and there's probably psychologists out there who could answer this more broadly than me, but I, I, I will strip this back and say, let, let's think of our brain and our body. Let's think of our brain and our nervous system. At any given time, our brain is functioning as a consequence of the sugars and the glucose. Uh, It's eating up sugars and glucose. In fact, the front part of our brain, which could be considered the intelligent part of the brain, the goal-oriented part of the brain, which is about 4% of our brain. In my brain, it's about 2% of the brain, but that's another story. (laughs) But it's 4% of our brain. It's very small, and it requires a lot of sugars and glucose to keep it switched on. If you think of, you know, doing quite a few interviews throughout the day in your role, James, and then you think uh, at the end of the day how exhausted you are. You are. You might say to your other half, "Oh, I'm mentally exhausted." That's your sugars and glucose depleted, and you need time to rest and restore, replenish those sugars and glucose. So whenever we're mentally tired, at the end of each day, sugars and glucose being depleted. Similarly, if we think of our nervous system, we might think of energy, alertness being driven by levels of of adrenaline, especially, and that depletes as well throughout the day. Even just um, thinking about performing in whatever role that we've got to engage in can deplete our stores of adrenaline. So in very simple st- in very simple terms as human beings you know we are made up of hormones that can deplete sugars and glucose that can deplete and so over time i think the more that we experience this the more that our inner narrative starts to become um i'm exhausted i'm tired i don't think i can do this anymore i need to spend more to take more time off or you know my life has changed i have think of Jürgen Klopp here I have grandkids now I want that that changes somebody's perspective that changes somebody's interpretation of their given situation so so you know when you throw all that into the mix our life decisions uh, Mm. can can shift but the mechanisms there are very much around hormonal functioning sugar glucose things like that that we just can't see that's fascinating because say that uh, even it, it, I'm, I'm going to try not to make it about myself too much, but in terms of like that, just a, a natural hunger in those early years, um, in anything, and then that changing of perspective because of the landscape that you're in that's different. And again, that's something I, I read uh, a while ago was that your personality is often three years behind your actual sort of life, um, life environment. So, for example, someone who say a, you know a player at player at 18 who just bursts on the scene and is you know full of life vigor buzzing and then four years later has been has had loads of money for ages has always been starting and all those things that 23 year old or kind of doing terrible massive but that 22 year old will inevitably diff- be different because they will have experienced different things experienced new things experienced the same thing several times and that will change the hunger of someone. It, that's something that we don't really acknowledge 
too often, I think, in sport. There's just a feeling of uh, you must go again all the time, which I, I would imagine would also be a trigger for people in sport to feel that kind of burnout because you know, when you hear say from Roy Keane or the you know the Man United side there was always this like well yeah we won but we've got to got to go again but it, it's not always easy to go again I would imagine when you're a different person at, at each juncture right yeah absolutely and if I was to go a little bit deeper what you're speaking to here is addressed in personality science or personality development science in as much as as human beings we have we tend to have five main traits that spells out ocean openness conscientiousness extroversion and agreeableness and neuroticism and uh, those are heavily influenced by something we call our characteristic adaptations and what you're speaking to. Sorry, I'm, bit, I'm sounding like a real psychologist here. No, I love it. Our <laughs> what, I, what I'm speaking to here is our character, characteristic adaptations is, you know, the situation we find ourselves in, we start to uh, experience and set ourselves new objectives, new goals based on what we've experienced. And we have different interpretations, that word again, interpretation based on what we've experienced. Now, if you, to speak to your point, I'm a young footballer who has, you know, who's gone from 18 years old to 22, 23 years old. I've had all these experiences and we're very quick to normalize our experiences. Those suddenly normal for this young player is playing in front of 50,000 people. So the adrenaline surge isn't there as much as it was before. Suddenly the, the, the thrill of training alongside the 50 million pound player that, you know, the thrill you had when you were 18 years old, no longer is a thrill because that's a mate of yours now you know in fact you know you might go around to their house and meet their family and have dinner with their family so you know that there's there's a, a normalization there that suddenly we don't have these surges of adrenaline and dopamine and alertness and energy as a consequence of these new experiences and so we adapt and that adaptation changes the experience we have on our traits and so the motivational piece or the conscientiousness piece which is the personality trait drops it's normal you know for you now doing youtube work and you do a great job but you've done it every day for a number of years it's no longer this bright bubbly shiny silver object in the corner of a room that attracts you it's now okay i it, it is going to work. I've got to do this again, and I've got to do this again, and I've got to do this again. And I remember years ago when I was working at Derby County with Steve McLaren, and, and he used to talk about his experiences under Sir Alex Ferguson in the late 90s with Manchester United. And he would talk about how that group were so relentless as individuals and as teammates. Rio Ferdinand, Roy Keane, Paul Scholes, Gary Neville, they would drive each other on so ultimately it became every day i always remember steve mclaren fixing me with this stare and this half smile and go dan they were every day it was every day every day every day every day it was incredible so there was this group surge of motivation high conscientiousness they didn't allow other players to do exactly what you've spoken about they didn't allow that to happen. In my work, that's what you're trying to do around teamwork and teamship. Mm. They didn't allow it to happen. So, you know, it's a, it is essentially, let's bring it back to you just briefly here because this could be very relevant. It's having the right people around you to help you keep going a lot of the time. So we come back to Clark. 
that he has had the right people around him, Pep Linders, um, you know, his other coaches, who no no doubt have surged that uh, that motivation through him. But even for him, there comes a time. There's that 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 invisible line where he's gone. Enough is enough. I can't do this to the best of my ability anymore. Great self awareness, great self skills. Mm. You know, maybe again, let's come back to normalcy. You know, he needs to do- denormalize things. Sometimes people need a change of environment in order to crank up the volume of motivation again. And maybe that's where he's at. Maybe. That, that's fascinating because, yeah, I guess the relentlessness. And again, another phrase that Gary Neville would use is it's something along the lines of set off fast. That way you don't have to catch up. But, and, <laughs> and as a mindset, when you like, I, that makes utter sense what you're saying there in terms of the normalization of of your experiences, and therefore not allowing it to come in comes from it being an already understood idea that you don't stop, that it is relentless, and so you don't let those things things creep in. Is there is that a is there dangers within that relentlessness? Because you're like you just spoke about Klopp there in terms of him being self-aware um can you be self-aware and relentless i'll come to your last question to the end because what you're making me think of is the importance of defining your passion broadly and deeply defining your desires broad uh, broadly and deeply that um, yes, I think you can have your cake and eat it, but I, I think it's so, so important for players, managers, coaches to be able to develop their, what we would call in psychology, their intrinsic motivation rather than just their extrinsic, I think extrinsic motivation being, you know, the outcomes, the, the, the incredible performances, if you like. Um, the intrinsic motivation is is deeper um, in as much as it's enjoying the activity for the sake of the activity itself. I it challenging for footballers at the very highest level or any level to keep loving doing the same thing every single day. Mm. So you have to continue to search what you love about what you're doing. And I I, I, I don't want to. Be, I don't want to come over all cheesy about this, but you are trying to have conversations as a sports psychologist with players around what do you love about the game and, and, and trying to help them break it down to the runs, the movements, the actions, the teamwork, um, the, 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 the feeling of the ball at your feet, you know, the feeling of getting a great shot away. And of, of course, the feeling of going out there and performing in front of people, but that's more extrinsic. Um, the camaraderie, you know, going into to the, you know the environment in football clubs at the training ground and so on and so forth, the laughs, the jokes, the relationships, the the positive emotions experienced mm-hmm. as a consequence of all these things. So, absolutely, you know, I I, I think I don't know if I'm speaking to your question or to your point, no, but I think you do. What, what, I think you are. It, sorry, Dan. It, sorry, it's a search. It's a, it's a last thing here. It's a search for meaning, and it's mm. making sure there's a broad meaning there as, as as best you can. And I think then what that let's come back to your question. That for me, um, that that underpins 
the relentlessness. It affords the opportunity for relentlessness when that relentlessness might dip. So if you have a sophisticated relationship with motivation from intrinsic, from deep to external, I want to win. I really want to win. I want to perform well. I want to be in the team. I want to play great. I want to win trophies but also extracting the joy from the moment-to-moment interactions that you have with the game, that's a deeper underpinning of relentlessness. I think it, I think you can have it have both, and I think Klopp's a great example of this. And what I would say, I should have said this at the start, is that I, this idea of Klopp and burnout. Uh, you know, ultimately he said one quote where he's saying, "I'm tired and I can't go again and again." But at the same time, he said, "You know, I'm good to get to the end of this season." We're kind of just using this as a vehicle to have this discussion. So I just did want to say that. But coming back to your point, I think it's really interesting, and it marries both both of them is the fact that. When and everyone will relate to this is when you have these sort of new highs and new experiences, be it trophies or the meeting these incredible people or doing an incredible deal at a level that you've not seen before. All of those things. There's two things. One, that's quite a chemical thing, but two, it's coming the the adrenaline that you're talking about is coming from something quite external. So then, once that becomes normalised, without the adrenaline regardless of of the achievement being the same it can't feel the same because it's literally a a chemical thing so the only way to be relentless um, and be self-aware is to have those intrinsic motivations because that will allow for the fuel for you to get the little buzz of something that's deeper if you know what i mean it's like to, to make it a bit I don't want to say vulgar, but like there's there's sex and there's love. You know, love is a sort of deeper, warmer feeling. Um, probably the two words I shouldn't have used there. But, but the sex <laughs> is like something that some, sometimes once it's happened, you're kind of like, oh, well, I've, you know, it's happened now. And that's that's the end of it. Um, but so th- this does come back to what Klopp has always been about. And there are so many questions where people are asking about the trophies. And one thing that's sort of uh, eluded him a touch is that with despite utter brilliance, in terms of points, in style of play, uh, you know, in overall vigour, the trophies aren't at the same number as as Pep Guardiola and a couple of other guys. So, but he himself has said, you know, at the end of life, what's the thing that I want to be known for? Is it a couple of bits of tin, or is it all the moments and memories around it? Um, and and well, that comes back to the intrinsic element, right? I look, I love everything you're saying. It's making my my brain uh, whir, and it was making me think. I mean, you you talked about the sort of or alluded to the biochemical underpinning of of of, of winning in the future and or getting to the final and experiencing the final. I mean, this is this is actually the the hormone of uh, this is dopamine, uh, and dopamine. You get hits of dopamine based on an anticipation for reward. You know, and and so when you've done something over and over and over again, 
you need greater hits in order to have the same experience, the same inner joy or experience. Um, and so for somebody like Klopp, if we were to use him as an example, and we were just, you know, he's not here to explain himself, so we're sort of making best guesses. I would say he's looking at the situation and there's a number of factors that are potentially happening under the surface, not just being a grandfather, for example, which I believe I believe has happened in the last year or so. So there's a familial change. But also, you know, he's he's been in the Premier League for a long time. He's, he was obviously in the Bundesliga before. He's had a great deal of success. There's not much that he hasn't done. He's won the Premier League. He's won the Champions League. And, and he's experienced these. So he's not getting the same hit of dopamine or the same experience from the hit of dopamine, the same uh, anticipation of reward, okay, as he would have done before. So there's that element. So there's a feeling element to it. Mm. And then there's an interpretive, again, that word interpretation, because we are, we are biopsychosocial creatures. We have a psychology and we interpret our given situation. You know, he could be looking at the situation and going, you know what, I'm just probably not going to achieve what Pep has achieved from in, in terms of number of trophies. Possibly, probably. I might not be able to do what Sir Alex Ferguson has done. Possibly, probably. So we, you know, as human beings, we assess our situation and we're driven by, you know, how confident we are in any given moment. Where, and that mediates how we're going to, you know, whether we're going to carry on, how we're going to carry on, what we're going to, are we going to go in a different direction? And there's just something about the interpretation of his feelings of energy, his feelings of excitement, his feelings of exhaustion, his feelings of confidence or efficacy in terms of, you know, getting maybe to where he wants to go, which is the greatest manager of all time, or, you know, the lack of ambition to have that. There's something about his interpretation where he's gone, enough. You know, mm -hmm. I, 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 I'm... Now, he may, in a year, go and get another job somewhere in Europe, and he goes again. Who knows? Maybe I'm overthinking it, but it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating world. And it, it comes back to the, to the burnout element of it. To, again, paint a picture as someone who's kind of been that been able to be that fly on the wall at, at you know professional football clubs or sports mm. club any sport yeah. um that leader and and that the manager um can you paint a bit of a picture of kind of well so i was reading up on on a, a you know a normal week in the life of a manager and you know it, there's a lot of people and it's quite it, it can be very very relentless um in terms of what's going on there um what what do you see in terms of the role of a manager and, and what they have to do and the pressures that could lead to burnout? Where it's become very relentless in the modern game, and I'm speaking at the highest level here and probably going down a few divisions, is that that, that role of manager um, is broad and demanding in terms of the people around the manager, the departments around the manager, you know, you have to manage uh, horizontally across departments, medical department, sports science department, strength and conditioning, um, your coaching team. Uh, you've got to manage upwards, so you've got to manage vertically in the demands of the organization from top down. And to a degree, you've got to manage downwards, as in 
be in tune with what's happening with the under 21s under 18s who's coming through you've got to be in tune with the latest uh, uh tactical demands uh, around the game and strive to be innovative as in the demand is can you be creative can you adapt can you be ingenious in what you're doing so you almost have to be a predictor of the future um, and and I, I'm sure there's plenty more to say in terms of what the demands of the role is. But the interesting shift is how many people are working under you, across you and above you that you have to manage or be answerable to. And that depletes energy for sure. So that that's absolutely that's that I think such a, a shift in 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 the game. And obviously we can talk about you know the emergence of so, social media and you guys and how yeah. you know uh, 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 and that constant narrative that is on people, players, uh, coaches, managers, and we can talk you know in simple terms about them ignoring those voices, but it's not always easy to ignore voices because how we are in many respects evolutionary designed as human beings is to assess what other people think of us um you know we we, we are oriented to being you know um, um um interested in what others think of us and we can talk about that but yeah th- 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 there's broad ranging reasons as to why the role is so demanding now now one thing to say and maybe this can can steer our conversation is that I still think that in my, at least in my experience, and I've worked in half a dozen Premier League clubs over the last 18 years and a bunch of championship clubs, this is where I think managers have to be very canny now. They have to be very interested in the people that they bring in for their coaching staff. They have to be very, uh, organisation has to be absolutely spot on. Their motivation has to be intrinsic. We've spoken about that as a good underpinning. Um, And I would also add here that delegation is vital, that no longer can managers, head coaches in a managerial role um, do everything. They have to be much better delegators, much more interested, if I may say so, and I suppose you know, I would say this, but much more interested, for example, in utilizing sports psychologists to do much more of the psychological work, for example, using coaches, um, and many managers do this very well, but using coaches to um, lead various departments within the organization to turn down the volume of stress pressure um and workload so yeah i think i think there's some interesting dynamics and i think there's a lot of things that managers could do a little better in order to ease the pressure on them i thought that might be the case when it came to burnout because i think control and creativity um and and being able to relieve that were three things that i was kind of thinking about and as you say at being that kind of center point to, to a football club uh, and having all those members of staff and you're right, kind of above you as well. That leads to one, a lack of control because you're going to get sort of pulled at from different angles in terms of input that you want to have, but also some input that you probably don't want to have. And then to relieve that comes to your point on delegation. The creativity element that we've seen on in YouTube a lot of the time there is a, an element of creativity in terms of the problem solving that would I, I would imagine would be brain melting in terms of being having to sort of 
conjure up the answers in a, especially a sport like football where there's so many variables there. Um, so is is that that delegation, as you say, is just absolutely enormous? Because from the stuff I've seen from burnout, in terms of how you resolve that, um, a lot of people kind of saying stop, get kind of take yourself out of that that situation. You need to. Uh, a lot of people that sort of suffer burnout at a huge level either, you know, leave the job or leave the industry itself. Mm. So with the way that football is going now, do you think that this, it's not even a trend just yet, but I feel like it could be. Do you think this is something that's going to happen more and more and more because the sport is becoming more and more draining for that for that person who also, as you said, I think another thing that's been part of the rise of burnout in a lot of people is sort of comparison and the kind of, you know, the noise from outside. So when you add that to it and people poking managers in terms of, have you won? Oh, you haven't won. Why didn't you win? Is this something that you think is going to rise and rise uh, in, in, in management specifically? I think burnout has always been there. Well, I know. I think it speaks for itself that it's always been there. I think that I've mentioned some stuff and you've mentioned some stuff there that means that burnout is a very real problem. And I think we're also, uh, we have a backdrop now where mental health is discussed more, has been, I'm going to use that term, normalized again. It's been normalized um, within high-performance sport. Not, not completely. There's still a... Uh, uh, a macho type um, um, environment that encases um, any football club, but um, more and more managers are becoming attuned to the idea of player mental health, welfare, well-being, their mental health, wealth, welfare, and well-being, and so I simply think that managers will now be more will have a more sophisticated relationship with their personal self they'll be more open to potentially taking a little bit of time off or just finding ways to use the people around them i i i really think it's no more complicated than that that they've just got to be i think one of the challenges has always been that football is in love with the genius manager the hero the hero who comes in and saves us the hero who comes in you know this is this is pep guardiola this is jürgen klopp this is emma hayes you know this is um to be to be transparent what you're saying there so even so there's a huge trend within football youtube and i'm sure i've been guilty of it but there are there are people that use it so much that if you put the word genius in the title when you're talking about tactics it it will do better so you (laughs) to your point you're absolutely correct like these are you know and when 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 you're talking about the replacement of a of a jürgen klopp these guys are messiahs like Liverpool, you know, especially, but, you know, not exclusive to that. You know, Wenger and Pep and Fergie and Mourinho and it's Arteta now. Um, there's These guys become sort of deities, which is, is, is quite dangerous both for the person in the role, I would imagine, 
Um, but also the, the the next the next manager or any manager stepping into that to that world. Um, and, and they're very fallible human beings. You know, it, 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 they are just human beings. Um, and maybe they have a, a deep and broad subject knowledge, um, but they are they are just human beings. And and this is the problem. And uh, but I think the mainstream media, if you want to call them that, you know, have always they've the, the the narrative tends to be a club, a team have to get in the manager to sort things out or to take them to the next level. But what modern day football is starting to demand is a a a, a multi-dimensional approach to excellence you know you need good stuff and i suppose the two best models in the premier league right now would be brentford and 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 brighton i mean obviously you know look thomas frank is is extremely accomplished and roberto de Zerbi is showing himself to be a a, a, a potential Pep Guardiola in the making if you're not I'm not saying Thomas Frank isn't but I'm just saying what seems to be the, the perception so there's nothing wrong with a society that says these are very uh, uh, accomplished people you know there are doctors and there are doctors there are lawyers and then there are lawyers there are interviewers and there are interviewers there are psychologists <laughs> and then there are psychologists there's no doubt podcast, <laughs> There's no, there's no doubt there are people who are very good at what they do, and I'm not dismissing that. But, you know, th- th- a more collaborative approach seems to be the sensible way forward. You know, on many levels, whether it's for mental health, well-being, welfare, for its participants, and I include the head coach there, whether it's for the general performance, the reality is Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guard, these guys can't know everything. They just can't, you know, and, and they're not, they do psychology within their role, but their knowledge of sports psychology in my view, is quite limited. But they don't need to be a sports psychologist. They need to be an accomplished psychologist within their role. But they need good people around them to help them make good creative decisions to run the organization and they so thus they need to be great delegators of that. To me that is going to be a prime way for managers, head coaches to be able to deal with the deal with the modern day challenges that the game demands. One more thing to say is if you take the Javi Hernandez scenario and he is, I have limited knowledge and I think we all have limited knowledge because we're not in these environments, but from what has been said is he hasn't got top down or he hasn't had top down support. Uh, and so managers also need to find an accomplished way to manage upwards they need better what i would say biopsychosocial plans so they need better ways to communicate upwards in order to make sure those at the very top at boardroom level really know what their plan is not just tactically not just with their game models but also the day-to-day functioning of the organization you know across medical sports science strength and conditioning etc etc so these are really complex environments that need good organization motivation and delegation questions in one here we're talking about Javi there and, and we we're kind of touching about the you know these 
uh, messiahs and these geniuses at the, these jobs. In terms of the, in terms of what a man, what makes a good manager, and and in particular, I guess with under this theme, what makes uh, a manager good uh, in terms of the sort of, I guess, mental health uh, sort of personality traits or, um, you know, characteristics. Um, to, to sort of survive from a sort of mental health standpoint to, to not kind of, to be able to deal with the rigors of being a manager. What are there any of those? But also we talk about uh, Xavi Hernandez. He is someone who I think everyone would go, this makes sense. Totally get it right. Played, played in center midfield, um, just like Pep Guardiola. We saw what happened with Pep Guardiola. He's, uh, you know, he is Barcelona through and through. He was known for being a very intelligent footballer. This makes sense. You're going to be a great manager. Off you go from the outside. Um, and I, again, like with Klopp, I, I'm not, um, I'm putting forward the idea as a vehicle for the conversation as much as a sort of um, labeling uh, Xavi of this, because he has come out and said that he said that, you know, it's a very tough job mentally, but he's also said that that's not why I'm, I'm, I'm stopping. And that could be true. It could not be true. Who knows? But another thing that is thrown about a lot is this phrase of imposter syndrome. So, what, what, what for someone like Xavi Hernandez or someone stepping into that job, do you think that to do that is imposter syndrome or that feeling of that at least inevitable? Or are there certain managers with the right or people with the right traits that would allow you to? get past that feeling when you're stepping into a job and it's the narrative seems set out for you. Lots of points and questions there. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's great. Can I start? Can I answer the imposter syndrome question by just reflecting on some of the things you said about character traits? Because actually I think it is possible to map out um, the character traits, the useful character traits of a modern day manager and i'll use the framework the structure of human personality here to help us and again i'll come back ocean openness conscientiousness agreeableness extroversion neuroticism so openness openness to experience is your in essence your creativity and intelligence uh dimension okay it's and I really am stripping back things here into simple terms. So I'm probably going to slightly abuse this scientifically, but it's your ability to, you know, your openness to look at things in different ways. So I think managers need to be pretty broadly open. I don't think, I think if you're closed minded rather than open minded, you know, if you're closed minded to things, you're not going to be able to collaborate as well. You're not going to bring the right people in. You're not going to be able to have the vi a creative vision for your team and your organization. So open mindedness is important, you know, and, and having a career playing the game, you know, there are a lot of closed minded players who, you know, got good just by being good, by training hard and doing what they do best. Well, you know, being a head coach or a manager requires, you know, to you to do that rather than that. Mm -hmm. So openness is vital. I'm using some hand gestures to help yeah. here. Um, uh, the conscientious ocean, OC, the conscientiousness piece is your motivational continuum. High motivation. I mean, we spoke at this is this whole thing is about burnout and 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 stuff. And you've got to be highly motivated, though. You've got to be, you've got to want to be competent, 
You've got to work very hard, seek no stone left unturned. And, and conscientiousness is all, also about orderliness. And that's the organization. You've got to be personally organized uh, to be able to make good decisions and engage in professional judgment. You know, so high conscientiousness, high openness, um, uh, extroversion. Uh, uh, um, this is uh, really interesting here, and I'm probably going to say something quite controversial to those who know about personality science and leadership, because all kinds of uh, 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 personality traits can be involved in leadership, and very synonymous with good leadership is a lot of people will say, well, you don't need to be extroverted, you can be introverted, and I absolutely agree with that statement. Some of the greatest leaders on planet Earth are it, it tend towards introversion, so they need time to themselves. However, however, um, the, the the modern day demands. Let's come back to the organization is big. I've got to lead across departments. You don't have much time to yourself. I I test quite heavily introverted. I need to take some time to replenish my energy. There's not a lot of time to do that. So being introverted, you can be a, a football leader, but introversion can get in the way of that. I'm not saying it's a deal breaker. I'm saying it helps if you're extroverted. Klopp is clearly extroverted. Um, to me, having watched him, and I've watched him at close hand in the dugout at a club that I worked at, he gets angry very easily. A sign of extroversion is you can't, not all, not, not all extroverts, but you can get angry easily. He's clearly quite extroverted. So so, so, so that, can, that can help. Just a couple more now. Agreeableness, you have to have the ability to be disagreeable. And I'm quite an agreeable person and to be disagreeable in my life, I find that quite uncomfortable. But you do have to have, as much as we all want a culture that is fuzzy and light and warm and loving and, you know, we talk about it a lot in football now to have that kind of culture of empathy and relationship, ultimately you still have to have conflict at conflict and confrontation and contestation so you do have to be comfortable with being disagreeable and then the final one which is a horrible word which is neuroticism which is basically emotional stability i'm sorry but you do have to stay reasonably emotional stable through tough times because as the leader of the organization your your attitude your actions your behavior heavily mediates the temperature the emotional temperature of your team and your organization and if you're up and down um all the time emotionally that's going to make a difference to your staff how they feel and most importantly to your players how they feel so if we take the raw structure of personality, we could say, yes, there is a template to be had. Um, what was your second question, James, in all of that? So we, what, what, what was I it? Think, I think it was the imposter syndrome element of it. And I, yes. guess, I guess that yes. kind of came to the, if, if, even if you don't have those, um, I guess knowledge is power, it would, I, I would guess would be the idea here, is that yeah. if you don't have it, as long as you... Because I had a conversation on, on um, another piece of content um, recently, and actually I sort of pushed back at the the, the phrase of imposter, um, yep. because and I might be totally wrong here, but I mm. I personally feel like that's a very I don't think that's a helpful word because imposter to me is has such negative connotations when ultimately it's in my opinion is doubt and therefore if you just allow it to be doubt and you believe that you can outwork doubt. 
then that frames it in a way that could be much more healthy for you in terms of moving forward. Um, but it is, you know, it's such a strong phrase that's out there that everyone uses right now. Well, you, 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 you're, you're prompting me to go to the, the real depths of psychology and really in it, it, within the weeds of what you're saying is having the capacity to experience anxiety but carry on anyway experience worry doubt fear all these things that could be synonymous with this term imposter syndrome um and there's not a good strong psychological theory of psych uh, of imposter syndrome it, it there's a little bit of popular psychology in it but it's essentially anxiety right it's anxiety it's a social anxiety in our given circumstance um you know we we feel undeserving of the achievement maybe that we've uh, accomplished okay i think that's certainly reasonable to suggest that we all uh, that many of us experience that anxiety um what we would say uh, in simple terms at the coalface is to carry on anyway, you know, to keep building your knowledge, to keep engaging with your players in a confident manner, irrespective of how you feel internally. That's got, you know, could have a whole episode on that and how, on how footballers should carry on irrespective of how they feel on the pitch. You know, it's, it, it's essentially, you know, in the weeds there, it's, carry on irrespective of experiencing imposter imposter syndrome i think it's a thing i think that's fair i think it's anxiety it's social anxiety and yeah it's carry on anyway because mm. I, I think that role as a manager is just to, you must feel so exposed everyone's looking at you everyone's uh everyone's sort of uh, critiquing you and Actually, in terms of control, like you you can ask you can ask really nicely for people to do something. We've also got eleven players who are wanting the utter opposite, and you don't know if it, you know these these players are going to do what you want, but you'll get the flack for it. So I think it's a very it's a very naked place to be as as a manager. But in terms of the burnout, I think what I feel like I've learned here a little bit because I think in terms of being that guy at the center of it, or or, or woman, sorry. The way to get out of it but stay in the job is a question of bandwidth. You have to utilize and find enough bandwidth through whatever means that, that might be to allow yourself to have the creative resource, to have the emotional resource, to to, to sort of stick around and not look to, to escape because otherwise... Uh, and it, Otherwise, you have to. You're going to need to escape at some point because it's something you can't. You know, you can't just keep working with burnout because ultimately you're not going to actually do the job to the best of the ability. Because as you said, the physical sides of it are come from the mental side of it. You're not going to get you know your job done as well as you want to. Um, I did want to ask you this: Is there a stigma around showing weakness in leadership? In your opinion, I think historically the socio-historical nature of leadership is that yes there has been and i think almost to come back to this idea of the normalization of ill mental health ill being the constant conversation that is now happening on social media which i think has its problems but for the most part is a really positive thing because we're so, all human beings. I know this. I know this probably would be a long answer, but in a in a short answer, or maybe we we'll come back another time and, and and have this conversation. What do you think is the problem with sort of the the um, popular conversation around mental health? You're saying there are problems around that. 
Oh, um, uh, that um, it, people are self-diagnosing with chronic uh, mental health problems or serious mental health problems. For example, I'm experiencing depression when actually I might just be experiencing low mood. Um, I'm experiencing, yeah, that 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 it's just it's. Um, the, there could be a jumping, you think? To it? Yes, it's the it's the inability to accurately uh, dis, um, prescribe what's happening um, in an accurate way, and and so and so subsequently there's a leap towards well, this person has depression. You know, lots of footballers have depression. There's undoubtedly many that do experience uh, low levels of depression or lots of low mood, um, a, a range of um, psychological challenges, anxiety disorders, and so on and so forth. We just need to be very careful with how we um, um, define what we're experiencing and what others are experiencing. And, and also the, the reach out and talk to somebody uh, got to reach out, talk to them, talk to somebody, talk to somebody, which is absolutely a great piece of advice for some people some of the time, but not for everybody all of the time. Um, we need to be very, very careful. Um, and also, you know, everybody will talk to somebody, you talk to somebody, you've opened a conversation, can that person close the conversation with you? So there's all, there's all in the, again, in the weeds, there's all kinds mm. of challenges around this narrative. The good thing is there is a narrative and we're normalizing these things. And, and, and so to come back to your question, which was on James, what was it? Yeah. It, was, well, was uh, it was on leadership. And in terms of like, that, you know, thank you. the very sort of, um, yes. specifically obviously yes. men's football, there yes. is, um, yes. it's very macho. Um, I found that myself and the experiences that I've had in, obviously I've, I've you know, worked in football. So there's a lot, of, a lot of men in that, understandably, but say when I go to a, a football training ground, it is. It, I remember thinking I went to Charlton, Charlton's ground, and I was like, "I've seen three women here. Like, this is a very macho kind of world, right?" Uh, and that lack of diversity, I think, is is um, it's not uh, it's not healthy, like overall, um, and could lead to yeah, certainly people in the leadership role. And I've got a, a stat here that so. Uh, according to Forbes, sixty-nine percent of people claim that their managers have a direct impact on their mental health, and therefore, when the mental health of your players is so important in a leadership role, do you think do you, do you think that they would be wary of of kind of being open about something like that? Yes, thank you for reminding me of all of those. I I agree with everything that you've said, and and I think that it just places more onus on the manager or head coach. Um, modeling the kind of attitudes he he or she wants uh, their players to, to to have the kind of attitudes around mental health um and uh, the importance of being able to start great conversations with players there just needs to be in the environment I've been in there needs to be more open-mindedness around having conversations around mental health well-being ill-being uh, welfare um, and that is happening Absolutely, it's happening. I've walked into one Premier League club who had a really challenging period uh, this season and um, um, there was lots of great conversations that was happening around this. Um, I, I think, I'm not going to say it's everywhere, but it's definitely in some places. And coming back to the, to the, to the leader, um, 
it's perhaps being more open-minded around being vulnerable, the importance of being vulnerable and actually how that is not going to damage your uh, player's ability to engage, learn and perform, but improves their ability to engage, learn and, and perform. And maybe, James, as I'm speaking here, it's making me think, you talked earlier about, the, you use this word, knowledge, that managers you know, need to continue, head coaches need to continue to build their knowledge around what, let's say, sports psychologists, academic sports psychologists, mental health community, the research that they're doing and demonstrating that actually players can play and compete while experiencing a degree of ill mental health. And, and that there are many ways to engage in excellence, not just this idea of relentlessness and not just this idea of winner at all costs and not just this idea of you know this constant one-dimensional approach to grind, grind, grind. The late, great Kobe, uh, uh, Kobe Bryant got up at four in the morning and used to, you know, th- uh, throw the basketball. Well, you know... Th- not everybody needs to do that. Not everybody can do that. That is does that doesn't shape everybody's form of excellence. Mm. And again, let's come back to what we've spoken about. You know, it's it, organization, motivation, delegation, communication, um, collaboration. These kinds of things, to me, are the gateway to excellence more so than as a leader, I've got to get up and be there at five in the morning and leave at 10 at night because it's just not sustainable. Mm. You know, that's not hardcore. Hardcore is more knowledge. Hardcore is better delegation. Hardcore is better improved collaboration. Hardcore is the capacity to sit there with your coaching staff asking, posing great questions in order to professionally judge and make effective uh, decisions for your team. That's hardcore, not five in the morning to 10 at night. Mm. That's what I'd say. It's fascinating. And yeah, and, 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 you know, a need for variety, balance, and that leads to maybe empowerment as well. Come back to Kobe Bryant, he, as, as much as he was up at four in the morning, there's another great uh, comment from him here where he was, his concern was not about winning trophies. It was about shooting the shot and just overall getting better. And yeah. and that comes back to that intrinsic motivation once again. Uh, and and yeah, it's, this is. I think it's really, really going to be useful for a lot of people because I think a lot of people are feeling uh, burnout. Certainly, it's it does seem to be more and more common with the kind of the pressures of life, and also I guess the um, immediacy of you know even our conversation. You know, these are the good sides of it as of, of us being able to sit down and talk over a Zoom call. But that also sometimes when you're in your house a lot of the time and you don't have those different things to sort of uh, stimulate and give you that variety and balance that can lead to, to burnout as well. So as much as it's um, obviously going to be a huge element of the pressures of elite sport, it's something that I think we can take uh, take with us um, whatever we do. Dan, uh, where can people find you? Because I'm would, i pretty certain people will have really, really enjoyed this and will want to hear more from you or, or read more from you. So where can they um, check you out? Thank you so much, mate. I'm always honoured and humbled to uh, have a conversation with you. And uh, my website is the best place to find me at danabrahams.com. I have an array of social media accounts. In fact, 
I need to be more active on YouTube, but uh, my main ones would be X, and the main one is at DanAbrahams77. Uh, and uh, do find me on Facebook at DanAbrahamsSoccer, um, Instagram at DanAbrahamsSport. Um, but if you pop onto to, to, to Facebook and you follow me, I'm writing about this stuff every single day. LinkedIn mm -hmm. as well. But um, I'm writing about this stuff every single day. So um, you can engage with me uh, there or, or pop me an email. Yeah, so, so useful. And Dan, yeah, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And yeah, hopefully we can have another conversation soon. Um, guys, if you have enjoyed that one, uh, as I say, check out Dan, but also follow the podcast. This is such a great vehicle for me to talk to people that know so much more about things than me and allow myself to be curious. So I love doing that. I would love to continue to do that. And you can help me with that by making this podcast as big as possible. So hit the follow button, give us a five-star rating and enjoy your day.